Rogers Business App Market brings together the right apps for your business and wraps it all up with Rogers world-class support. Microsoft Office 365 makes it easy. Whether you need to securely store and backup files, access or share documents in the cloud, collaborate with your team or manage your business from anywhere and on any device. Plus, with support from Rogers, you'll get everything up and running quickly. To learn more, visit rogers.com forward slash business apps. Scotiabank understands that business is personal and your business has unique needs. That's why we offer flexible solutions for your business banking. Create your own business banking package that works for you by opening an account online in minutes with ease and start saving today. Visit scotiabank.com forward slash small business to get started. A real entrepreneur helping others succeed. This is your host, Rivers Corbett, on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. If you are a regular show listener, welcome back. If you're new to the program, hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and Google Play Music and visit startupcan.ca to connect with both your local startup community and to join Startup Canada to access training, resources, and a peer network to grow your success. I'm Rivers Corbett and entrepreneurship is part of my DNA. Whether it's building my own companies or helping other entrepreneurs, build theirs. This is my lane. Want to connect after the podcast? You can find me at www.meetrivers.com. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast show. This one's going to be an epic one because we're talking about epic award winners. And we're just thrilled to have with us Kate Taylor from Akey Energy on our show today. Akey Energy was the recipient of the Social Innovation Award at the 2016 Startup Canada Awards for its renewable energy development in Indigenous communities. See, that's the problem when you get script writers writing in and in together. That's what mess me up. Indigenous communities in Manitoba. By combining green energy practices with the restructuring of energy systems, a key energy is leading the way for social innovation in Canada. Founded as a non-profit in 2013, a key energy has successfully installed over, get this, 6 million in renewable energy systems in the First Nations communities in Manitoba, leading to, get this, over a quarter of a million dollars in annual bill reductions. That's incredible. The company has also greatly contributed to the community by providing local tradesmen and women with new skill sets and employment opportunities. In today's podcast, we're going to talk to Kate how Key Energy has developed renewable energy systems for Indigenous communities and how their success can be replicated by other social enterprises. Kate, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. 
Yeah, well, thanks for your patience today, too. We had a little few technical problems, but we got it all set up and it just sounds perfect today. So, Kate, you know, what do you want entrepreneurs and our listeners to take away from the key energy success story today? So when it's all said and done, what's the deliverable that they walk away from? I think our primary message at Aki is in some ways less about renewable energy. It's less about the specifics of the business model. It's about looking at the ways in which business can act as a tool for economic reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Canadians. And I think that that's a business model that we're exploring at Aki Energy and a business model I want Canadian companies to be exploring across any number of industries. I think you can take you can take the fundamental premise that business can be a force for social good and you can apply it anywhere. It doesn't have to be renewable energy. It can be local food production. It can be, I mean, there's any number of opportunities across the trades, even mining development. So that's my main takeaway today. Okay, well, that's cool. It was, a, it was that pause there. I said, okay, you're saying great stuff, and I want to make sure you you uh, you, uh, you you were making sure that things were laid, relayed the way that you wanted to be. So here's a question for you. You know, I'm I'm hearing a lot about the uh, about the closing of the, the divide between indigenous uh, communities and not indigenous communities. Are you are you seeing that more and more these days beyond your uh, your journey with the key? Yes and no. I think that we are starting to have really important conversations as a country about reconciliation and what that looks like. I think we're starting to see some really important progress being made, but we have a long way to go. Mm. Uh, As an example, the premier of Manitoba recently went on a bike ride for reconciliation, uh, Premier Pallister, and he forgot to contact any indigenous communities at all. Oh, come on. Yeah. That's incredible. That's the kind of thing we still see happening across Canada. I think that we Canadians are still learning what reconciliation means. Uh, We're still learning how to incorporate that into business practice. We're still learning how to incorporate that into our lives. I'm non-Indigenous myself. I work for an Indigenous company. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we all have a lot of learning to do around that. So I I think we're in progress. I think there's a lot of really positive things happening. I think we have a long way to go. Well, it's interesting you say that. Uh, just the other day, I was talking to a, a very successful woman in business, and we were talking about you know women entrepreneurship and uh, and uh, um, you know the progress that that's happening. And the, and I asked the question, you know, what's the what's the vision as to where you think things will be in five years? And she, and she ultimately said, you know, it's never going to be perfect, but at least as long as we are starting the journey, that's what's important. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, I think what comes out of this conversation is that, yeah, we're on our way, but we still have a long way to go. So uh, yeah, point well taken. So in your own words, let's get a little bit into, uh, you know, green energy and so on. Um, How is green energy and indigenous philosophies compatible with each other? I mean, in some ways of everyone on our team, I'm the worst one to speak to this because I'm actually the only (laughs) non-indigenous employee of Action Energy. (laughs) Well, probably you're unbiased though in that regard too, right? So it's uh, you probably are the right person. But I think that there's a lot about uh, indigenous traditional knowledge, indigenous philosophies that we can learn from, both as a social enterprise sector and as a green energy sector. I think speaking specifically to social enterprise as a sector, we're starting, we're looking at how do you build business models that take into account economic impact alongside environmental impact, alongside community impact. And one thing that I've learned a lot over the past five years working with indigenous communities and within an indigenous business framework is 
that this is a knowledge system that is really good at thinking long-term. It's the Mm. opposite of the sort of short-term profit maximization model that we're so good at in, you know, Western business models. Mm. Indigenous philosophies and indigenous traditional knowledge has a lot of experience thinking about community impact, thinking about long-term impact. People talk about seven generations out. That's, these are teachings that I think, um, the social enterprise sector can really benefit from. I think the business sector broadly can really benefit from. And the same thing with renewable energy. I mean, if you look at some of the northern communities where we're working, first off, you know, if you're a northern community without access to the grid, you can be paying as high as $2.50 per kilowatt hour for your electricity. I mean, compare that to wow. at my house, I pay seven cents a kilowatt hour. Yeah, right, 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 exactly. Difference. And for every dollar they're spending on energy, bringing it up, I mean, they're literally just trucking diesel up on ice roads. You're spending mm. another dollar to remediate the spills. Mm. So compare mm. that with a very short-term thinking model, you know, ship that eats right. up, some of it spills, you come back and remediate <laughs> it a few years later. Yeah. Compare that with, with sort of an indigenous uh, worldview model, which emphasizes this long-term intergenerational thinking. And we have a joke that we do and we, when we go up to northern communities and we're talking about diesel spills and, you know, then we, we talk about biomass spills, biomass energy, of course, just being wood chips. So, I'll, you know, yeah. a handful of wood chips <laughs> on the ground and be like, whoa, <laughs> now you put that in the broom and a diesel spill you clean up, you know, with a five million dollar soil remediation project. So, right, right. Wow. That's, so have you, have you got any best practice communities? Is there one community that really stands out that you say, my gosh, is if, if we could get all of the communities that you're serving to really uh, follow what they're doing, and then we would really move faster. So is there one community that's, that stands out and, and why, why is it so, why are things working so well there? Oh, it's so hard. There's so many sort of <laughs> fantastic communities that we've worked with over the past five years. But if I had to choose one, it would probably be the first community we ever partnered with, which was Fisher River Cree Nation. And okay. that's a geothermal project. And, you know, we came on, this was our first year in operation. So we had a lot to figure out still. Basically, we just had right. a big idea. Right. And Fisher River just took to the geothermal so quickly and have been so dedicated to it since. Uh, we did 50 residential units together that first year, uh, installed uh-huh. them. They trained a crew of people that are still working today, five years later. Fisher River wow. Builders is currently the largest geothermal installer in Western Canada. They work in their community. They work outside. They bid on private jobs. It's become a real economic driver for the community. Um, People we trained in that first year, actually, we've stolen from Fisher River, and they are now acting as trainers on our projects. Oh, cool. You know, so when very, very cool. The new community will be bringing in experienced folks from Fisher River. So they're actually... Um, we have a representative from Fisher River who's the chair of our board right now. They just keep giving back to us and we've been really appreciative of their leadership in terms of pushing us to think harder and farther. Well, let's talk about, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but let's talk about their leadership because I think, you know, when you, when you, you, you take, uh, you take parallels between business and, and, and community leadership is still that common denominator. Um, has there been a change in, in government during that time period? Um, how did, how did they, how did they embrace the initiatives that you folks are bringing to them and then continue them going to the point that, you know, they're still number one in your heart and your head, uh, even though they happen to be the first one that you uh, connect it with. 
Yeah, well, I mean, there's so many different ways in which that they have really internalized this business model for themselves. So, you know, we did a lot of business development support in the first year. Uh, what they did was take their existing community-owned construction company, Fisher River Builders, and build out a large geothermal division. So in some ways, they were an excellent first community to start with uh, because they had that local trades knowledge. So we were right. training, already trained tradespeople, which is something we have uh, since then. Mostly we're uh, people with almost no trades experience. Uh, we had uh, a little bit of a head start there, which was nice. Um, but they've gone on you know, from the initial 50 units we did together, they've committed to installing geothermal in every household in their community because they know uh, in Manitoba, at least we're seeing electricity prices rise. I think we're looking at 5% a year for the next five years. And that's, uh-huh. that has like, I'm going to feel that in my pocketbook in Winnipeg, but if you're in a first nation, uh, you're reliant on electricity for heat. It's Manitoba, so it's cold. Uh, <laughs> Lead to massive impacts on your bills. So, if it's- sure, at two dollars and somewhat for uh, what is it qu- kilowatt? I, I don't know the terminology. Yeah. You're better at it than I am, but you're going from seven cents five percent above that, and that's going to hit you. You can't imagine what that uh, what that would hit. So you're bang on and reinforcing that. You got to get ready for it. Absolutely, and and Fisher River is lucky. They don't pay the full two fifty a kilowatt. They're they're on the grid, yeah. but they heat. Right. Like I use natural gas for heat. They use only electricity. So it's hugely wow. expensive still. So they see green energy as a way of protecting themselves against energy price hikes in the future. They right, know the price right. is going up and they know everyone else is going to see their bills rising except for them because they've hedged their bets against the future. Yeah, very cool. Well, tell us about the... Uh about the the, leak, the leaky bucket economy, and maybe we've already started to make references to, references to it. But uh, and 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 how is a, a key energy working to provide you know solutions for in, indigenous communities under that leaky bucket economy? I, and as I say, maybe maybe you've already referenced the leaky bucket economy, based on sure. what we've talked about so far. So we talk about the leaky bucket economy a lot. Uh, and basically what that means is if you imagine a community, any community, but in our case, we're often talking about First Nations as a bucket and you have all this kind of money you know, getting poured into the bucket, right? Whether it's right, right. people's individual incomes or government transfer, whatever it is. And then you look and does that, does that money stay in the bucket? Like, is it, is it circulating in the local economy, creating local jobs right. and local prosperity, or does it flow right out again? Is the bucket full of holes. And mm-hmm. in the First Nations, the bucket is full of holes. Uh, mm. Tom Morriso, who is on our board uh, from Seguin First Nation, used to say, the money never touches brown hands. The money flows from yeah. white people from the South back to white people from the South. <laughs> never touches brown right. hands. Right. to keep that money touching brown hands. That's what we do. Of course. Of course. That's what it's supposed to do. So you look at some of the ways in which money leaves the community. High hydro bills. Uh, paying out the nose for diesel energy that's supporting a company in the Gulf of Mexico, Um, you know, hiring outside contractors for trades work, um, high-priced consultants being brought in on any project. Um, These are all ways that you're seeing money leaving the community. So how can we build projects that plug those holes? Green energy is one way that you take money that would just flow through the the economy of the local community and and you keep it circulating. So if you replace electric energy with a biomass system, say, so you're, you're now you're now you're burning, you know, scrap wood from around the community. Uh, often we use burnt wood from forest fires. Uh, it, suddenly you're creating all these jobs, collecting the wood, chipping it, managing the system. Uh, you can get jobs installing the systems. That's all mechanisms to keep that money circulating locally. 
So that's what we mean mm. when we talk about the, the leaky bucket economy. I love it. I love it. So you're the director of projects for a key energy. You're non-indigenous. Uh, tell us how this marriage happened. That, uh, <laughs> you came to, uh, to one, be interested in what they were doing. And, uh, and, and two, I can only presume that at some level, I'm just telling with your energy and, uh, and I really do. I, I can sense your passion for what it is that the company's doing and in your involvement with it, but you must have some sort of vision as to when you took the position as to how you felt you can make an impact and where the company could make an impact. Can you talk about those things, Kate? Sure. There's lots to talk about there. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually am a co-founder of the company. So I came on right in the early, early days. Uh, and I came at this from a, the very dorky position of being very interested in utility financing models. <laughs> okay. And so I was interested in how do we increase people's access to green energy if you don't have the money uh -huh. to do that? If you don't have the uh -huh. money to put up front for a $20,000 system, if you're poor and you don't have the credit history, you don't have the credit rating uh -huh. to apply for loans and grants to do that. Um, uh -huh. So that's sort of my initial perspective, but that's not why I got into this work. Um, I got into this work because I know that we are all treaty people in Canada. I'm as much bound uh -huh. by the treaties as First Nations people are bound by the treaties. You know, we uh -huh. signed agreements and we have obligations to those agreements and they're obligations that Canadians, the Canadian government and by extension, Canadians are failing to meet. Uh, right. A lot of bad is being done in our name. Um, and I think that that's the responsibility of all Canadians to try and figure out how do we start healing this relationship? How do we start doing our part as Canadians to, to live up to our obligations as we define them in the treaties? And so that's really why I'm here. I think that business is an important, is an important tool to use in terms of right. economic reconciliation in Canada, uh, in terms of healing, in terms of creating new relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. And I think that those are those are sort of processes and conversations that happen really well when we work together. Um, it can't only be Indigenous people fighting to try and solve this problem. It's got to be yes. Canadians. It's got to be all Canadians. So we all is, need to be at the table. Is there an element of uh, that Aki does that goes beyond, uh, obviously, the great work you're doing to, you know, being a lobbyist for uh, for the conversation? Probably more than we should. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're passionate about something, right? Yeah. That's, uh, you know, that's, uh, they saw it, it's a curse and the opportunity, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the soul of uh, why you're doing what you're doing. So, Actually, so probably more than you should, but, uh, but again, it's, uh, do, do you, do you plan on that? Is it just to happen through, uh, through natural uh, evolution of the company? How does it, how do you, how do you involve that or create that dialogue? Well, we're an interesting business model in a lot of ways and in, and in ways that kind of bake that process in. Uh, so like I said, we are an indigenous company. So we have actually, I think at this point, 95% of our staff are indigenous and that's reflected at the management level as well. Uh, our, mm -hmm. My co-founder and boss Darcy Wood is a former CEO or sorry, is a former chief of Garden Hill First Nation. Um, okay. And our board which is an active governance board uh, is consisted consists entirely of representatives from the community we work with the communities we work with. Um, okay. So my project partners are also my bosses and that really mm. changes the relationship. Uh, it means that we're not in for short-term partnerships. Uh, we're not in a position where if a project goes badly, we can walk away. Uh, because right, there's people right. on our board. 
they manage our customers. <laughs> um, right on. You're not going anywhere. You're sticking this anywhere. one out. <laughs> right. Yeah, I love Even it. Even we say we're in it for the long term. And one of the nice outcomes from that, as a nonprofit, we do earn profits. And what we've done is commit to recycle those projects back either into developing the business in new directions right. or in consultation with our board, engaging in social enterprise-based project work that's going to benefit the communities we partner with. So yeah. one project I'm actually working on launching right now is an indigenous <sighs> social entrepreneurship fellowship program. Oh, cool. So, you know, developing a system to support and to grow young indigenous social entrepreneurs from around Canada. Um, uh-huh. Because a lot of indigenous social entrepreneurs, you know, they're embedded in the communities. Uh, they know the challenges. They have really solid solutions and they might not have access to the same business education, the same networks uh, that someone like me would have access to in launching a new company. So, you know, with our profits from last year, we're reinvesting that to try and look at how can we support in young indigenous social entrepreneurs all across Canada. And that's where, you know, that was an idea that came out of our board, and it's a fantastic one. Uh, it extends beyond what you'd normally consider to be our responsibility as a business. Uh, but, you know, we also see ourselves as leading and developing a sector. And, sure. you know, so, so in that way, uh, it's absolutely part of our mandate. So, so I, I can see how you would obviously involve people who are within your, 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 your touch points for that initiative you're talking about. How do you, how do you start to expand that beyond the borders of a, of a key energy? I think one of the fantastic things about our tight knit. You're tight knit. And so we have broad networks across Canada. And I think, you know, we're going to start by holding a series of contribution circles and, and our goal, it's sort of a snowball research method, right? So you, you start off with, you know, the head of the indigenous chamber of commerce in Winnipeg and, right. um, you know, chief, grand chief, grand, Sheila North Wilson, uh, MKO grand chief in Manitoba, you know, you, you pull in players that are operating at a high level that know, you know, who's out there and who's making waves. And then you keep extending and broadening your conversation mm, and take advantage mm. of the social networks that exist. Yeah. So is that, is that a, one of the ways in which you're going to continue to, uh, to build and, uh, and implement renewable energy in, in other parts of Canada also? We absolutely want to expand uh, beyond Manitoba. One of the things that's unique about Aki uh, and is, I think, different than probably any other renewable energy company in Canada is that we partner with Manitoba Hydro, our local utility, um, so that when we're working with First Nations, um, 100% of the capital and labor cost, so 100% of the cost of installing renewable energy is paid for by the utility up front. So the homeowner pays nothing. Uh, and then that initial investment is repaid through a charge on the utility bill. Uh-huh. That charge is less than the money you save. Okay. That might sound cool. complicated, <laughs> but what it means is that you don't pay the upfront cost and you see the savings from day one. Nice. So for communities that don't have a lot of access to capital, that don't have a lot of access to uh, debt financing, uh, it's one of the only ways I've found to get access to renewable energy. And it's what has led us work with so many communities. I think that's a model that we could see expanded across Canada. For us, it's mostly about making those utility partnerships and right. demonstrating from our success in Manitoba what a good system that is. I mean, no one is a better bill collector than a utility company. <laughs> <laughs> so I love it. 
I love it. I love it. So where's the next one, next place you're going? Are you going to go west or are you going to go east? <laughs> uh, we've got a lot in development right now. Actually, in terms of the next year's worth of, of development, we're actually going north, uh, which is great for us. Okay, There's, cool. You can kind of draw a line across most provinces in Canada, right? Yes. Uh, about halfway up. And below that line is everyone who has access to an electricity grid. And everyone uh-huh. who plugs something into the wall. <laughs> uh, yes. And then above that line is people who don't have any access to the utility grid. And often they don't have any roads. So that's the fly-in communities, the remote communities, all those communities burning diesel. Um, yes. Our work to date has been focused mostly on those communities attached to the electricity grid. Uh, where I think the real potential lies is in all of those communities that are burning diesel and that are on remote yeah. and isolated microgrids. So we're hoping to expand up there. I think that there is the energy prices are higher. Uh, in some ways, the employment crisis is greater. Uh, mm-hmm. the technical challenges are higher. Uh, so now that we're sort of growing as a company, I think that developing models that work for northern communities is our next focus. Give us a sense, Kate, as to the scope of that opportunity for uh, a key um, population-wise. I think that's more. You know, how many people are you going to impact by going north? Whew, I don't know if I've got the numbers in front of me, but there's 63 isolated communities in northern Canada. Right. Uh, we are working with one of them right now. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so of I course. Think that's some work cut out for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's incredible. And how many people would be on average in a community? Oh, it varies hugely. Um, I think on average in the communities that we've worked with is about 5,000. Uh, but wow. certainly there's much larger communities than there's much smaller communities. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really awesome stuff. And, and yeah, that makes natural sense. I mean, that's where your best practices, that's where your value proposition is. And that's where your, uh, that's where the need is. So it makes sense for, as a business model to continue in, in that direction. And it's, it's kind of an interesting, um, you know, the, the, the stereotype is you go East or West, you never think about going North, um, from there's a country a perspective, right? There's a whole lot of Canada <laughs> that I think Canadians forget about. Yeah, they do. Absolutely, they do. Well, listen, I got to tell you, I live in Fredericton, New Brunswick, and trust me, there's a whole bunch of people that have no clue there's an Atlantic Standard Time, let alone a Newfoundland Standard Time. So I I feel the pain that way, uh, for sure. Well, look, uh, besides your focus on renewable energy development, uh, a key, and I want to know how that name came about, because I think it's very cool, in addition to the spelling, or is that just part of the, uh, maybe that's a definition that existed before, or spelling that existed before, but I want to hear about your name is you're also trying to stimulate a local food marketplace. Can you, can you expand a bit on that, Kate? <laughs> sure. So I'll speak first to our name. Uh, okay, our name cool. is actually Ojakri uh, for earth. Okay. So it's earth energy. Um, our, my boss, Darcy Wood is an Ojakri uh, speaker. So he named, he named the company uh, okay. and I love the name very much. Yeah. It's in, wonderful. In terms of the local food market, that kind of came from the side. <laughs> Okay. We're a renewable energy company. Uh, But as I mentioned before, Darcy is a former chief of Garden Hill. And so it meant a lot to him that at some point we tried to do some work in Garden Hill. Uh, We went up to the community and we did our kind of slick presentation on renewable energy and how we work. And they basically said, go home, go home and come back when you've got us some, when you're ready to talk to us about food. Because in our community, food insecurity is the number one problem. 80% Mm. of people in Garden Hill don't have access to food every day. 
Wow. Food insecurity is massive. There Mm. is no grocery store in the community. There's a Northern store, which is a a $10 boat ride away. Um, And the prices are unbelievable. Uh, In Mm -hmm. addition to the fact that you're paying for a boat there and back. So, you know, we went home and I was kind of like, well, that's that, you know, there's nothing we can do in Garden Hill. And (laughs) again, this is the beauty of our business model because we we took the disappointing news to our board and our board said, well, what are you going to do about food? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks for the news. So what? Figure it out. So we reinvested again. We we looked at our, at the money we had made from the previous year and we partnered with the um, Northern Healthy Food Initiative to pilot a project in Garden Hill, looking at the same social enterprise model that we use. So how can we plug another hole in the leaky bucket, create local jobs, train local people and meet a need faced by the community? Um, Mm. I have to fully disclose here. I'm from Toronto originally. So Mm -hmm. like this project involved me Googling, like how do chickens work? (laughs) (laughs) So what we ended up doing was partnering with a fellow Rob Guilford, who's a seventh generation prairie organic farmer. And you know, he can build anything with his hands. He's an incredible guy. Uh, And we piloted a a project. It's a containerized farm. So it's a farm packed into shipping containers. Right on. Shipped up on the winter road. And then the shipping container after it's not holding everything we need for the farm becomes a structural foundation for the farm buildings. Uh, we trained a team of local youth. Uh, we built farm buildings. We raise 1500 chickens a year, uh, process them, uh, store them and sell them back to the community. And what we're trying to get to is a business model that sees the revenues from the previous year, supporting the next year's farm development. We're not there yet. Uh, but it's a tough nut to crack. So we're on a third yeah. year of the project. We're really good at growing chickens. We're not as good at growing <laughs> anything else. <laughs> so is, is this is this another division you'll have uh, a key food? Is that uh, kind of how uh, how the brand is growing? So we actually, we spun a key food off into its own uh, company. Nice. Yeah, we're right next door to each other. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we of course. We share a lot of, of a management team. Uh, yes, of course. But Aki Food is doing fantastic work. The other thing they do is just food drops in the community. Uh, we fly healthy food up and we sell it for cheaper than the Northern store because it turns out that's not that hard to do. Uh, right. And there's a food right. crisis. So, you know, Aki Food is doing everything it can to look at, at market based models for building local food security in Northern communities. So the director of projects, I'm sure it it sounds simple enough, but I'm sure it's very vast with regards to the activities that you (laughs) you grapple with on a daily basis and embrace also, because I can, again, sense your passion coming through in this conversation. It is so cool. You smile a lot, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) I can sense it for (laughs) sure. Yeah, well, today you're smiling a lot because you're talking about your passion, which is very cool. But as the director of projects, you know, what's uh, how do you how do you uh, manage your day? What's your what's your typical day look like, Kate? Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> depends on the day. Uh, yeah, of course. A lot of our time in communities, so I'm on the road yes. a lot. We have a lot of epic road trips, and we joke that all of our management meetings happen in the car uh, right. or on small planes. Uh, Uh But, you know, as we've grown from, you know, five years ago, we were a company with three staff 
and it was the three co-founders. And now, you know, at the height of construction season, we've got 30 people working. So job has really changed. And I'm someone who doesn't come from a formal business background. And so this has been a lot of learning on the go for me. Uh, So at this point, I've actually gone from being directly involved in in a lot of the project management to managing a team of project managers, which has been fantastic for us because we can bring in again, a lot of hugely experienced indigenous project managers who, who know the scene, who know the very kind of unique uh, aspects of working in northern indigenous communities. Um, and they can get tons more done than I can. It's fantastic. Is, <laughs> so is there a lot, lot of... Uh, sorry, go ahead. We spend a lot of time meeting with communities, meeting with chiefs. Uh, I spend a lot of time meeting with... Um, Various technology companies, funders. So I, I'm mostly talking all day. <laughs> yeah. Tell me when you when you uh, are now in charge of a team, uh, have you ever had to say no? Even though you're great at being a quote unquote director of a, of a of a project uh, for a community, you don't fit with a key energy and what it is that we morally, principally, you know, conceptually want to want to follow. Do you ever have that 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 culture disconnect with the with people that you just say no, it's not going to work. You know, not with any of the folks that we've hired, but Uh as we sort of expand to work with more and more, I think, consultants that are used Uh to working in a different framework with Indigenous Uh communities, who aren't used to working in a way that is as collaborative, as transparent, as partnership-based as we are, there's a lot of education work that we end up doing. There's a very extractive relationship between a lot of consultants, a lot of technology companies in Northern communities. Um, Mm. There's a lot of failed energy projects kind of littering the North. And right. we refuse to experiment on Northern communities. I think that's the last place you should be trying out your new technology. We are yeah. boring old technology that works. That we know works. Yeah. So I think that's, that's been, so awesome. Yeah. I think we've had to do a fair amount of education in terms of the fact that our business model looks fundamentally different and that we're not interested in business as usual when it comes to partnering with communities up North. Tell me when you, uh, you there, was, there was the three of you at the very beginning, um, and what what was the what, what was the reason you brought on the fourth person? Oh, I just got we just got totally stressed out. All <laughs> right, just Things just, just crazy busy. Yeah, just crazy busy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at some point, I was just you know you're on your 17th cup of coffee for the day and everyone's yeah. in a weekend and months and it becomes clear that you're working past your own capacity. Yes. Um, we, we, I think it's always the first hire outside of the founding team. That's the hardest. Of course. Yes. <laughs> went yes, absolutely. Time, and then we got into yeah. of it. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful stuff. Well, you're doing really, really epic work. And, um, and you know, I, I've, I think one of the things as entrepreneurs that we don't do is really step outside enough and take a look at the epic work we're doing. And so, I mean, I've, I've had this wonderful conversation with you to, to get to experience what you're doing and uh, a huge high five from this end. But, uh, you know, I think you. your, your team needs to really make sure you continue to do that because it's important work and it's important work to continue up north, as you referenced. So, um, you've just, uh, you've gone through a journey of being a, a businesswoman. You're doing very cool things from a, a, a social enterprise, entrepreneurial focus. Um, you got any, got any book that you've read along the way, Kate, that you would say, man, this is the one that I think everybody should read. Yeah. This is going to sound like a shameless plug, but I do mean it. 
Uh, yes. My co-founder, uh, Sean Loney, who's an Ashoka fellow, just wrote a book called The Army of Problem Solvers. And it's actually really good. <laughs> nice. It's a really it's good the, the, overview the, and like a really challenging piece about how businesses can stretch themselves to meet social uh-huh. goals and can stretch themselves to think and act on economic reconciliation with indigenous communities. And so I'm, I'm going to go. What's it called again? That. It's called Army of Problem Solvers. By Army Sean of Problem and, and And how do you spell his name? Sorry. S-H-A-U-N-L-O-N-E-Y. Love it. Love it. Yeah, well, we all have our favorites. And to me, it's the hidden gems that are actually the best ones. It's kind of like that movie that you didn't think you'd really like. And so, yeah, you saw it. It's a Sunday afternoon on the t- on the television. And it ends up being one of your favorites. So I appreciate that. It's uh, uh, very, very cool. And how do we find out more about Aki? Well, you can look us up on the internet at com, And Aki is spelled A-K-I. Uh, yeah, it's probably the best way to find us. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Wonderful stuff. Well, Kate Taylor with a key energy, one of the co-founders, a true entrepreneur, social entrepreneur, doing really amazing stuff in a very important, uh, um, uh, solving a very major problem in a very cool way. Keep doing your magic and, uh, and uh, I look forward to following up for the next conversation on our podcast show. Thank you so much, Kate. Well, thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Want access to resources and support to grow your business? Visit startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett leaving you with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Uh, my name is Anthony Lacavera. I'm the founder and chairman of Globalized Capital, and you're listening to the Startup Canada podcast with Rivers Corbett. I wrote this book to create awareness about what I see as a fundamental structural problem in our country and that it's going to lead us down a very negative path in the coming 25, 50 years, but we have all the tools available and the track record behind us to fix it all if we just raise awareness and have conversations about it. There's a lot of ideas in that book. A lot of a lot of people say, yep, great idea. A lot of people say, no, no, not, don't agree with that one. But the conversation is what's key. So I'm trying to start a conversation. And my strategy is to keep pushing for that conversation to happen. One of the fundamental things I talk about in the book is we have all this great stuff in this country, but we must change our mindset. It all comes back to a mindset. We've got to stop thinking like the junior partner in any kind of relationship. And we are constantly saying, oh, wow, the U.S. is so big. It's so competitive. I can't go there. But you know what, Rivers? I've been saying to people, look, you say that and you think that, but you don't think that when we play hockey. You don't think that... You, 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 they're ten, yeah, sure. They're ten. They're ten times our size, ten times the population. But we expect to win gold when we play hockey. And why can we not just bring that same mentality to our business culture, our business world? That's what we have to do for Canada to be prosperous. We have to stop striving for a second or third or fourth place finish and being happy with that. We've got to be striving for the gold medal, for the number one place, for the top of the podium. That's where we have to aim. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.